Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hello, everybody. We're back with another episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast. And this week I have special guest with me, Paula Morales. Paula is a sleep expert and a conscious parenting junkie with me. I'm so glad to have her here. Paula, why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So I'm an early childhood educator turned mom turned sleep coach. I did not ever expect that I would become a sleep coach. When I had my son, I knew that I didn't want to sleep train, that it wasn't up my alley. And I didn't realize what the big fuss was about sleep. Like everybody talked about sleep and I didn't get it until of course I had the sleepless nights like most parents do. And so what I was finding was that I had, you know, I was doing my research online and all of these things. And I was finding either the pro sleep training people that were like, just leave your baby to cry and do that. Or the waited out people, Mm -hmm. right? It was like, just, you know, bed chair and let him wake up 20 million times a night until he grows out of it. The like the, this too shall pass crew. I feel like that's what I call it. Yeah. (laughs) Which, you know, to an extent is true. Absolutely. But I was like, there's got to be a middle ground here. Like, <laughs> yeah, I love it. Balance. Exactly. Yes, balance. So then I was able to find this little corner of the internet <laughs> where I found the baby led sleep approach and it just called to my soul and I had to join. And I got certified as a baby led sleep and well being specialist. And now I help parents get more sleep without sleep training. Awesome. So, first of all, I do want to just preface this conversation with here at the Balanced Parent, there is no shame, blame, guilt, or judgment at all. There are a million different ways to raise your family and to parent your kids and to work with sleep with your kids. And so there's, you know, offer yourself a heaping doses of grace and compassion as you listen to this. But I would love, Paula, for you to tell me a little bit more about that middle ground, because I think lots of parents are in that place where they don't want to go the full extinction. So cry it out, you know, is a misnomer. There is an actual sleep training method that's called full extinction, um, which is what usually people mean by cry it out, but there's also a lot of other options. It is not this dichotomy, right? It's not either we do full extinction or cry it out, or we do nothing and just wait, you know, wait it out, you know, that there's a gray area in the middle, that there's lots of options in supporting families 
to get the sleep that they all need. So tell me a little bit about that middle ground, like what it can look like. What are some options? Yeah. So the thing is to start the difference between sort of the sleep training world and then how I view sleep is I don't view it as a behavior. So it's not something that needs to be trained in a child. I don't believe sleep is a skill that needs to be taught, right? So that's the difference. Sleep is developmental. What we can do is we can support children to sleep. We can support in creating a restful environment, but ultimately it is not our job as parents to make our kids sleep. It is only our job to provide the right circumstances for them to sleep. I love that the environment where sleep can happen, right? I mean, sleep is one of those things that ultimately our kids have complete control over. They have complete control over very few things in their lives, what goes into their bodies, what comes out of their bodies. And when they sleep, you know, like those are the things they have control over. For sure. And, but it's unconscious, right? Like no one has conscious control of their sleep. So if I held a gun to your head and said, go to sleep, no, you can't do that, right? So it's not a skill. It's not something that can be taught and trained into someone. So that's sort of the big piece of it is I don't see it that way. It's a developmental um, process. It's a like process. so much that our kids are going through. Exactly. And the other thing about sleep is that it's something that is affected by everything, right? So if your child is having a rough day, they're probably going to have a rough night. If your child is having nutritional problems, it's going to affect their sleep. Mm -hmm. If you're feeling touched out and having a hard time at bedtime, it's going to make bedtime harder for them. So there's so many different pieces. It's a part of a bigger puzzle. So when we look at sleep in a vacuum as this one thing that we need to train them in, we're missing the point. We're missing the whole child. Mm -hmm. So what I help families do is, you know, several things. One is figure out their goals and figure out their goals, not society's goals. Mm -hmm. So that's first and foremost, because there's a lot of noise about it. There's a lot of societal expectations. And so I help parents figure out, you know, parents will come to me and say, you know, we're bed sharing. And I know, I know we shouldn't, it's so bad, but you know, we're still bed sharing. And I say, why? If it's working for you, it's working for you. If it's not, let's move away from it. Right. So that's big. Oh my gosh. I feel like you're talking about sleep almost as like a microcosm of respectful parenting and conscious parenting in general. Like, cause that's exactly what I do with parents is, okay, so these are the expectations that the world handed to you. And what are your true core values and goals for your kids? And you're blowing my mind and thinking about sleep this way. Thank you. I appreciate it. And then the other piece of it is too, is providing education as to what is normal infant sleep, because there is, again, a lot of noise and a lot of expectations that are just not realistic, right? So, you know, they'll tell you a six-month-old should be sleeping through the night. That's just not true. You know, without sleep training, a six-month-old is going to wake up a couple times a night to feed, and they actually need those feeds, you know, or even well past one year, a baby will wake up once or twice, maybe three times a night, either because they're hungry or because they need comfort. So those things are all normal. And again, comfort is a valid need. That's another thing that's really important because, you know, people will say, well, you know, they're changed, they're fed and they're dry. They're fine. Well, they're not because they wake up and they miss you. That's a valid need that they have, right? So really providing that education. I'm sorry, can you hear my child? (laughs) It's okay. We love it here. Don't worry. 
children are welcome in this space with us. We're all at home with our kids. Of course, he's having a hard time out there. Of course he is. He knows that you're here doing something. He feels that pull. And I think that that happens at bedtime too with sleep. Our kids feel the pull of us wanting to move away from them. And of course that causes anxiety. That's what the attachment system is there for, is for kids to be on alert when we're pulling away and to then to signal and bring us closer, right? This is what exactly what I talk to parents about and it's that whole concept of the mirror neurons right so if you're feeling anxious at bedtime because you're touched out and you're just dying for them to go to bed it's the hardest bedtime why because they sense that and they go hold on a second my mom is stressed out right now that means it's not safe right so they're not going to want to go to bed so helping the parents understand that they need to manage their emotions and their stress level and but also a huge part of that is telling them what's normal because the fact of the matter is there's so much noise about what their baby should be doing and a lot of times people come to me with perfectly normal babies who are doing perfectly normal things but they feel like they're failing Mm -hmm. because their baby isn't doing what the book says they should be doing, right? So that anxiety then spills into having a difficult night and it just, it's a vicious cycle. So again, this is why I don't think we can look at sleep as a one thing and it has to be part of a bigger puzzle. Okay. And so as you were talking, I had this image of myself with my second when she was a little baby and she was having a hard time. She was in a tricky stage. She was having a hard time sleeping for naps. And I had had a pretty terrible pregnancy. I had been in a car accident. I had a really significant birth injury and my physical body wouldn't let me do the things that I would normally have been able to do to comfort her and soothe her and help her get to sleep. Like Mm -hmm. I physically couldn't pace, you know, for 10 minutes while I kind of jostled her a little bit. So there's this moment where like I I physically couldn't stand. So I had to sit Mm -hmm. while she cried. And I feel a lot of compassion for that new mom too. So I felt a lot of frantic need to soothe her to get the crying to stop. And I've come to understand more and more that feelings, you know, even our littlest baby's feelings are not a problem to be solved or something that we have to stop. Um, And that frantic need to stop her crying was all related to like me feeling like my body had failed me and you know, just all that, that stuff, you know? And so like those for the mom or the dad who is frantically trying to get their baby to settle and to soothe and to stop crying. What do you recommend for them in that moment? If they can just get a, just a little bit of a pause from that. I feel like you guys can't see me, but I'm like, you know, I'm like doing that like jostle thing, like where you are like, just, oh my God, please stop crying. Please stop crying. Like what do we do in those moments? Yeah. I mean, first remind yourself that again, it's not your job to force them to sleep. It's your job mm-hmm. to provide the calm. And that, like you said, tears are not the end of the world. Your little one is allowed to be upset. They're allowed to express their emotions. Tears can be really triggering for us. And, you know, there's more than I do. <laughs> I'm sure you talk about it. So, of course, in that moment, yes, that's not what you're going to be doing. But, you know, it's important to explore those triggers and figure out why are tears a problem for you. So, you know, my approach to sleep isn't a no cry approach, but there's a difference between crying in your loving parents' arms than crying alone in a room, right? So this is what I kind of tell parents. So in a situation like yours, that's a perfect example. Your baby wanted to be rocked. You couldn't do it. 
And you have to give yourself that grace. Your needs are important too. And you're still providing comfort. It might not be the exact way she likes it at that point, but it's mm-hmm. still comfort. So reminding yourself of those things. And then, you know, having some sort of mantra or some sort of little relaxation technique that you can draw on in those hard moments is really helpful. You and I have talked about this before, but yeah, you know, it's going to be different for every parent, but maybe you tell yourself a little kindness meditation, Mm -hmm. or maybe you do some deep breathing. And all of these things not only are helpful for you because it's calming you down, but it's showing your child how you're down-regulating and it helps them to co-regulate with you. So again, it's also interconnected. Yeah. I love the idea that our state regulates their state and that when we're up and high and frantic and in a frenzy and resisting, they're there with us. And so we have to bring it down and accept and allow. And yeah, I love that. Okay. So I also wanted to ask you this um, episode, I think is going to be coming out near the holidays and times of change and transition when big happenings are happening or sleeping in a new environment. Like often we do during the holidays, although I think there's probably less travel this year, but any time of change, like at least in my experience as a parent disrupts sleep. Like when Mm -hmm. we go to stay at my parents' house, we've been there a million times, but we know the first two nights are going to be rough and then they'll be okay. But do you have any like help for families who are kind of seeing some sleep disruption due to changes, stress levels, changes in their environment, moving houses, a new sibling kind of like, how does change impact sleep and how can we support kids through that time? So a huge part of sleep and why bedtime can be difficult for little ones is because sleep is the biggest separation, right? So yes, (laughs) we don't think about it that way, but it is, it's a huge separation. It's huge separation and our little ones are wired to not want to be separated from us, right? Because that's what keeps them safe. So when they're going to bed, you know, especially like say a toddler, if they are sleeping through, they might be going 12 hours without seeing you. And that's a long time. That's really scary. So I just want to add to like, even if you're bed sharing, it's still a separation, even if you're right next to them, because they're unconscious, it's a different state of consciousness, right? And So even like just the act of falling asleep right next to your mom can activate the attachment system, right? Yep. Even then it can be difficult for sure. It certainly makes things a little easier sometimes, but yeah, it can be difficult. And so keeping that in mind, because what happens when we're in the holidays is we get so busy and so overwhelmed and there's lots of family and all these activities happening, but we often don't slow down enough to have that one-on-one connection with our little ones, right? So you're thinking like, hold on a second. I just gave you the best holiday ever. You got all these gifts. We had so much fun. You ate all the great food. But they're thinking, but I just want you. I just want mommy and daddy or whoever the parent is. So really trying to take some time to carve out one-on-one, non-scheduled or no planning ahead time. Kids need free play, just plain old play. Like gifts and all the things are fun and amazing and traditions, they're all important, but they just need to be kids. And so if you can carve out some time to really focus in on them and tune back in 
and help them deal with that overwhelm because we don't realize that that can be a lot for them to handle seeing new people getting used mm-hmm. to new face like all of those things are overwhelming for our little ones so that's first and foremost connection 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 when in doubt at connection <laughs> yeah okay so what i hear you saying there were so much good stuff in there i wanted to pull them out so the first is that in the busyness of it sometimes we unintentionally get disconnected from our kids. So carving out some intentional time each day to play with them, to drop into the present moment with them is so important. And that also kids can get overstimulated. That when they have all these new people, new sensory stimuli coming in, all of those things make it harder to then transition into restfulness and into sleep, right? Because their bodies are overwhelmed. Right. And you also mentioned the good food. I do think that changes in what you're eating, like having big changes. I mean, even as adults, we know if we have a rich meal or some a lot food that we're not used to, that our sleep can be impacted. Right. For so sure. Just the food changes. And some of those things you can't control in the holidays. Like that's how the holidays are. And I feel like that means that your mindset around sleep in these times of change is so important, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. I think that's my next thing is expect things to be different. You said it yourself, right? Like you go to your parents' house and you know sleep is going to be difficult for a few days. If you go in with that and you just know like, okay, it might be hard. It's so different from when you go, Mm -hmm. oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, how am I going to you know? And the other thing is, again, a lot of the narrative that's out there about sleep is this whole concept of consistency and habits and not creating bad habits. And I say to parents, there's no such thing as bad habits, as long as it's something that's working for you. But also, you're in a special situation, it's okay to change things up, right? For example, maybe you do bed share for those days that you're at your parents' house, and you don't normally do that at home. Does that mean you're never going to get your kid out of your bed? No, it's just what they might need in that moment, right? So, you know, don't be afraid to create bad habits, quote unquote, right? I so agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. I think we get this message as parents that we need to be consistent. We hear that a lot from professionals, from experts, that consistency is key, right? And I really think like flexibility is probably more what we should be shooting for, that our kids are resilient and flexible. Yeah. I always say parent the child in front of you. You know, this child right now needs X, Y, Z, rather than parenting from a place of fear of what if they never, what if they always, you know, I feel like that's a lot of where our parenting decisions tend to come from. Oh my God, yes. (laughs) And you know, that's not serving. And this is, obviously beyond sleep even, but especially true of everything, like an action that's taken out of fear of some possible future is rarely an action that's serving your true higher goals. That's really going to support you. You know, this is not just in parenting. This is just in life that being motivated by fear, you know, but even with sleep, when that story is running through our head, it changes the energy we bring to an interaction, right? Absolutely. And our kids sense it. They're so close to us. You know, their bodies, their physiology is so close to us. They're so intuitive and Mm -hmm. so in touch. And it's funny when you might not even realize that you're giving off a vibe that you're stressed, like you think you're holding it together. Your kid is not fooled. (laughs) They know. 
Oh my gosh, they can sense hypocrisy and <laughs> undercurrents. They're so good at reading, you know, between the lines, reading body language and feeling the energy. They're so good at it. Yeah. So keeping that in mind and, you know, think about how you can make your holidays less overwhelming. Like you said, this year, there's probably not going to be a whole lot of traveling for people. But again, I think we have a tendency, as I said, we all do this, we want to just pile on as many experiences as we can. And we want to make things really special. But depending on the age of your child, that might not be appropriate for their age, right? So Mm -hmm. just keeping that in mind, and maybe it's not something you can help, you know, maybe you have a family that has lots of big traditions and big things that you do. And that's fine. But just keeping that in mind that it's going to affect your child and setting those boundaries and saying like, okay, maybe this one particular activity is just not going to work for us today. It's just too much for my little one. Absolutely. I I think it's so important to be able to confidently and compassionately set those boundaries with our loved ones and with ourselves too. Sometimes it's with ourselves. Like we have this pull to like give our child some experience, some feeling that we remember fondly growing up, but, and that pulls us to do things that we know are not really what's best for that, like crying baby on a Santa's lap or something, you know, like we get pulled to do those things. And sometimes we have to have like the internal boundary of checking in with ourselves of like, is this right? And just like reassuring ourselves, like there's time, like there's no rush. Like the first five years, they probably won't even remember any of their Christmases or Hanukkahs or in those times. There's time to build those traditions slowly when they're developmentally appropriate. You know, like they don't have to go to the big family present opening or white elephant. What if that's what your traditions are? They don't need to go to those things when they're one. Like it's okay for those things to be scheduled during a nap time, you know, so that they don't get overwhelmed by it. And I think that there are often relatives who are like, but we don't want them to miss out. And I'm like, what? Like it might be better for them to miss out. It might be better for all of us to miss out. Finding that balance and it's tricky, right? So my family celebrates Christmas Eve. And so we open our presents at midnight. Well, technically we do 10 o'clock because it's midnight back home. Anyways. (laughs) So my parents last year, my son was only six months and they were like, so is he going to stay up for presents? And I was like, no. (laughs) And he was at the time going to bed at six. That was his bedtime. So I was like, uh, yeah, I don't want to deal with that tomorrow. (laughs) So So no, so no, it's not going to happen. And he still got to open presents before. Like I put him to sleep at my parents' place and everything went fine. So in that sense, for me, that was a boundary. Now this year, he's going to be a year and a half. So maybe he'll be able to stay up a little later and I'll feel more comfortable knowing that he'll make it up the next day with some sleep. So you kind of have to make those choices, but don't be afraid to say no. And you have to bend to everybody's. And some kids are flexible and some kids are rigid. Like that's a temperament thing too, Uh, like a biological thing. So some kids are super flexible and can sleep anywhere at any time in any circumstances. Some kids are rigid. And like if I kept my oldest when she was like six months to two and a half, if we kept her up even a half an hour later, her whole sleep would be disrupted for days afterwards. She is so regimented. And even now her personality as an eight-year-old is very dependent and comforted and soothed by routine and expectations. Right. And that's just how she's wired. And like, we would often have people asking us, you know, like, 
4th of July, stay up later for fireworks. Like, nope, not worth it. Not worth two weeks of disrupted sleep for us, you know? Like, exactly, yeah. Because then you're the one who's getting up in the middle mm-hmm. of the night. Yeah. And also, fireworks for a very little kid are just terrifying. <laughs> right. Well, yes, yeah. That was just an example of like other, other, like, whole other story. Like, we would never have done kids who tend to be super rigid like that also tend to be very sensitive. Like yeah. she was terrified of like talking like flashy toys. Like we had to take yeah. all the batteries out of every toy that anybody gave us. Not that we were buying flashy toys, but people did give them to us and yeah. she yeah. was terrified of them. She needed a chill environment. <laughs> yeah. And I love that you bring that up because that's another big piece of my sleep approach is to really take into account the child's unique temperament. There's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all routine. You know, every child is different. I really don't provide parents with charts or with pre-made plans because I don't know your child, right? Like your child is going to be different. So one, they have different sleep needs. You know, one child might sleep 11 hours in a 24-hour period and the other one might sleep 16. Like it's so Mm -hmm. different and their temperament. So for example, my son, he's a busy body and just before bedtime, it's chasing him all over the house. It's rough and tumble. It's him going up and down. It's a big burst of energy that has to to get that out. He needs that energy out. So for him, there's no having a long, quiet wind down routine like that would drive him crazy but for some kids they do they need that they need to read like 20 books before bed (laughs) and you know it's different and so I just really encourage parents to find what works for their unique child and as you know because you have two your first and second might not like the same thing (laughs) I know it's so funny like you know I always hear that kids don't come with an instruction manual but I mean really they kind of do they Mm -hmm. are their own manual right like all we have to do is really pay close attention and they tell us they tell Mm -hmm. us what they need and it's different for every kid kids communicate in different ways but if we're really closely watching and really working to get in touch then we can just know then we can trust them and trust ourselves you know I I love that so much yeah a hundred percent and I think again that's a lot of what I work with is kind of helping parents to get back into that and to trust those instincts and listen to their child. And it's so hard, you know, and it's not your fault if you can't figure out your child's cues and what your mommy gut is telling you, because we've been conditioned as a society to not listen to ourselves, right? Oh my (laughs) gosh. External validation all the time. I mean, that's how we were parented. That's how we were raised. That's how we came up in school. We were trained to constantly suppress our intuition and focus on what other people were telling us was right for us. Absolutely. Becoming a parent has been one of the biggest unlearning projects of my life, you know? They teach you so much, eh? They're just incredible. I did want to add one more thing about you know, the whole piece about sleep Mm -hmm. is again, a lot of it has to do with mindset. A lot of it has to do with expectations and managing those expectations. But there are sometimes underlying causes why your child might not be sleeping. So I help parents look for 
or identify any red flags and then help them find the right specialist to go to. So there are underlying conditions, things that could be affecting your little one from sleeping. There could be airway troubles, it could be nutrition, lots of different things that can really affect sleep. And so again, you want to make sure you're dealing with those first before we're looking into changing patterns and changing the way that we're putting our kids to sleep. And a lot of these, unfortunately, go undiagnosed. And this is yet another thing to pile on to why parents are feeling stressed and anxious. You know, if you have a 12 month old, say, who's waking up hourly, that's beyond what's normal that I would want to look into. But that doesn't make you a bad parent. It doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean you're not doing the right things. It probably means there's something going on with your child, whether it's an airway restriction, whether it's a food intolerance, something like that, that is preventing them from being able to get good rest. And unfortunately, (laughs) we have a long way to go with our healthcare system. Well, I'm in Canada, you're in the States, but either way, we're not diagnosing these things and parents are often not heard by the healthcare system. And so when they're bringing up these concerns to their pediatrician, this is my pet peeve, is they're told, well, your child is just playing you, so you better sleep train them. And that's, again, you know, no judgment if that's what you've chosen to do, but understand that If your child has an underlying condition, sleep training them isn't going to fix that condition. Yeah, absolutely. I wish that more pediatricians who parents go to and rely on for help were like more well-versed and well-trained in in parenting and in sleep practices. I do because I get parents who've had recommendations from their pediatricians that are outdated and based on old science and not on the new ways that we understand kids. And pediatricians don't get a lot of training in like behavior and discipline and sleep practices. They don't get that training. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. And you know, you have to remember they're general, they're not specialists in anything, right? So they have a general knowledge. And And they're medical experts. Exactly. So I say to people, listen to your gut. Again, got to get into that intuition. When you're a mom or a dad, you know when something's up with your kid. You know, right? That there's something telling you something's wrong here. And if your doctor says, no, everything's fine, get a second opinion. Get it's okay to advocate for, for yourself. Advocate, advocate, do your research. I know it's a blessing and a curse, but we have so much access to information these days. So find the right information and be open-minded. Even if your search leads to there is actually nothing wrong, you know, there's nothing bad about advocating and just making sure. So that's a big one. And And just your pediatrician's word is not law. So if they tell you that you have to sleep train your baby, you don't have to do it if you don't want to do it, which to me, they should not be giving out parenting advice at all, but that's a whole nother story. (laughs) Right. Yes. So we are definitely not advocating that you don't follow medical advice from your doctor, but just know that when it comes to things like behavior and discipline, those are opportunities to utilize good boundaries and to, I always like the smile and nod and then do whatever you do what's right for your family. (laughs) Families that I work with have had to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously like liability speaking, we can't say go against your doctor's, you know, medical recommendations, but when it comes to parenting and discipline, there are other experts that can support you. I think that if I had like toddlerhood and babyhood to do over again, the like one thing I would do differently would be to invest in sleep help. So I think that it's a great investment, not just like in your own well-being as a parent, as a caregiver, but also in your child. Cause of course, sleep is incredibly important for their development too. 
like a well-rested child is a child who has more capacity for learning and growing and enjoying their day. Absolutely. And I love that you say that because it is something that a lot of times we still feel very much like it's a frivolous kind of. Oh my God. No. You know, and in general, we just think like, oh, I shouldn't need that. Or, but the truth of the matter is, is if you need help, get it from whoever feels good to you, whether that is sleep support or whether that's a parenting coach or whatever it is you need, there's no shame. No, I mean, and we're not supposed to do this alone. If we were living the way that humans were meant to live, we would have been watching the younger generation be parented. And, you know, we would have had the opportunity to observe and learn through modeling how to do do all of this stuff. And we don't have that now. And so we really have sometimes have to, you know, get our village more intentionally, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah. Especially in this world of lockdowns and already we had a lack of a village. Mm-hmm. Now it's even more so. Even um, more so. So I do, like you said, I think it's great. And to find a coach that speaks to you, like really do your research. There's a lot of sleep consultants that call themselves gentle, but the definition of gentle varies. So make sure that that definition matches your definition. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I think finding, you know, the right person, like I just want parents to be supported. If that's with me, wonderful. If that's with someone else, wonderful. Like all I really want is for parents to know that they don't have to do this alone, that they don't have to be fumbling in the dark, that there are people there who want to come alongside them and help them figure out what is right for them. You know, I 100% agree. Yes. Okay. Get the support that you need. You're worthy of it. Your parenthood journey is worthy of it. Your kids deserve it too. So yes, get support. I love it so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I love your podcast. Oh, thank you so much for your wisdom. You're sharing all of this. This was a great conversation. I really, really appreciate having you here. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, remember to subscribe to the podcast and if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of, um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right. That's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.